My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Callie Williams-Yost, and our topic today is work evolution, flexing to meet the needs of the new workplace. Callie Williams-Yost is a leading authority on high-performance work flexibility. A visionary workplace futurist, strategist, author, and keynote speaker, Yost is the founder and CEO of the Flex and Strategy Group a solutions company helping organizations unlock performance and engagement by reimagining how, when, and where work is done. She is called one of the most sophisticated thinkers on the transformation of work by the New York Times. Her commentary frequently appears in the media, including the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, USA Today, NPR, and the Today Show. For over two decades, Yost has led this exploration of the future of work and flexibility, predicting multiple workplace trends and designing a proprietary framework that drives culture change for impact. Callie, thank you so much for joining the Workplace Podcast. I have so much more I'm going to say, but uh, thank you so much. Oh, William, it is my pleasure. I am honored that you've asked me to be on with you today. Yeah, and you know, where I first came across it was the National Management Conference held by the Irish Management Institute. And I really was just wowed by really wowed by your your insights and that framework uh that you had. So we might talk about that uh later on. And I must say, and I didn't mention your book so far, was the work and life fit. No, so I was showing you, you know, people can't see what I'm showing you on the screen. <laughs> But I have highlighted so many different things. And what I really like about this book, it challenges your thinking about flexible working, which everybody is doing right now, and remote working. And again, it highlights some misconceptions and reality. So I was giving you an example where even how I was um, reflecting on my relationship with work and my relationship with my family and even homeschooling I was, I was actually placing a higher emphasis on my wife's career after reading that book, which was an unexpected surprise. So thank you. And my, I'm sure my wife will uh, thank you as well when she listens to the podcast. So Elma, if you're listening in, uh, that's for you. So <laughs> Callie, for yourself then, um, what do you think of the challenges then that people, uh, leaders are facing at the moment and organizations are facing at the moment? Well, I think the pandemic has done two things. First, it has accelerated the evolution of flexibility in the way work is done. It's just accelerated it to a much faster pace. So it was already happening 
before the pandemic. This is nothing new. People were working remotely. People were having flexibility in their time. It just, in terms of the scale and impact as a way of operating, that was not happening. And that's where we are now. Um, the second piece of this is the pandemic has fundamentally transformed the DNA of work. We are not yeah. going back, okay? And so as we think about not only sustaining how we're working through the next final phase of the pandemic, we also have to be looking to what's going to be next. So how as a leader do you take this time to say, all right, we're going to step back. We are going to take what was good about how we were working before. We are going to take what is really good about what we learned work how we've had to, to do it during the pandemic. And now how are we going to create something new on the side? What is that going to look like? So that's what I think the broad sweep of the pandemic's impact on how we think about work, how we execute work, and how we are going to be working is going to play out. So it's a broad sweep there, but in reality then, it's, it's quite complex, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, just, it's a holistic system change, right? It's, yeah. Um, and it has to happen on three levels. It has to happen on the ecosystem level of the entire enterprise, right? All the elements, all the aspects of the enterprise have to align around this new way of working because, you know, the way your HR systems were set up and the way your facility strategy was set up and the way your leadership um, approach was set up and very hierarchical and it, it, that doesn't you've got to make sure all those pieces now are re, you rethink them to support a dynamic shift in your operating model based on what you've learned in the pandemic. Um, and also it's not just the enterprise level, then you get down to the culture level, how, when, and where are people planning the way they're working, they're coordinated the way they're working, the way they're executing together. That requires a whole new way of thinking and a new set of skills and then you get down to the infrastructure level which has to be in place the technology the um, processes the pace of work the technology the way you're leveraging that the way that culture is then activating that infrastructure to achieve the priorities of the business so it's ecosystem it's culture and it's infrastructure and what we tend to do is we tend to focus let's say on one piece of the infrastructure we tend to spend a lot of time on how are we redesigning our workspaces okay that's fine but again that's one piece that has to interact and and align with the technology that people have and you can't just look at technology in isolation it really has to be aligned with the work i mean these are just one example one or two examples of you know i think we're trying to get at the next way we're going to operate, but it really does have to be this more holistic approach to ultimately get there. And it's funny, just before we hit record, we were actually talking about how the pandemic has actually forced a conversation that probably should have been happening already. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think um, the best way to describe it is pre-pandemic, flexibility was happening in a very organic, random way. There was no strategy and intention around it. Um, and now in the pandemic, we got there with a the crisis, right? It was a rapid crisis response where everybody was sort of flailing around and figuring out how we were going to make it happen in real time. And now what we have to do is say, all right, what is the strategic intentional way we're going to reorganize not only how we uh, 
think about our organizational structure and and the way we're operating, but also how we are personally thinking about how, when, and where we're going to do our work and manage the other parts of our lives. And then how are we going to coordinate that with everybody else that we're working with? And then what does that mean for managers, the line managers and the day-to-day way they are just not only tasking work and prioritizing work, but then also motivating their team. So these are all those conversations at all those levels that weren't happening in an organized way, weren't happening thoughtfully. It was just, it was, it was random. And now we need to make it. So, yeah, because I'm getting, you know, I'm thinking of from, you know, the organizational point of view, you know, a team point of view and an individual point of view. And we, I think that the thought process was before that it was nearly like one size fits all. Right. Where, where I, for me, reading from your book, then it, what I walked away from one it challenge really challenged my thinking in terms of how I saw flexibility. And, and I have a number, I still have a number of questions on that. But it, it's a bit like what I walked away with was everything's up for negotiation. And, and I, but here's the magic, right? You can approach that negotiation from a consistent process. So the consistency yeah. is in the framework and the process. The outcome is really going to depend on the unique realities of a particular business or a particular yeah. job or a particular person. And those yeah. realities are always changing. So one of the key principles would be you're always recalibrating, right? Mm. It's, not, it, it's not only not one size fits all, but it's not one size fits all all the time. Like it's always shifting and changing. That's where the dynamic, flexible aspect of this new way of operating is going to come into play. It's not chaos. There's an approach. There's a framework. There's a consistency in terms of um, planning, decision making, coordination, and execution that puts those those guardrails around it. So that's yeah. where we are. Yeah. So it's kind of like you have a, a definitive scope with boundaries, right? Uh, and with that, so and and again, it's changing it from like a fixed structure to more a dynamic structure where it's kind of like that culture is kind of that living and breathing organism. Uh, and then you're able then to kind of navigate around that. So we constantly change as the context changes. Is, is, you know, is, is that the way I'm, I'm Absolutely. It? And I would say it really comes down to this. It's about a question. The same question asked over and over and over again, which is what do we need to get done? And how, when, and where do we put that? And having that conversation individually having that conversation as a team, having that conversation as a leadership entity, and then having that conversation more broadly as an entire enterprise. And just asking that over and over again, and again, and having that consistency in approach and that process-based framework to answer the question. So you're, you're approaching that answer from a consistent um, point of view, but you're allowing for the uniqueness of the outcome based on all the dynamic elements that are going into that, the components of that question. So when I was listening to you in the National Management Conference then with the Irish Management Institute, you were talking about the various different lenses that we had to look through or the process that we had to follow. Can you give our listeners a bit of an insight into what are those processes or what are the lenses? Because you talked about process, you talked about pace of work, you talked yep. about flexibility in, in lots of different ways. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? So that goes back to the infrastructure piece. 
right? So if work is no longer where we go, right? Because that's what the switch is. Pandemic made us now realize work is not where we go. Uh, work again becomes what do we need to get done and then how, when, and where do we do it best? So what is the, the what are the guardrails? What is the infrastructure within which we will then determine how we execute the work? So that goes, those are the different elements I talked about in the presentation. And it's, it's not just about workplace, which is one of those, it still will be an yeah. element. And I think we're debating how much workplace is going to matter and what's going to happen there. And that's fair. And that's a guardrail. Then you got to think about workspace for sure. So it's not just the workplace, it's the space within that place you're going to work in. And I think we also are beginning to understand we got to have, we have to have the conversation around workspace on site, but then also our workspaces off site. And I think we're seeing a lot of discussion around how much an organization is going to invest in setting people up in their remote workspaces so they can be as effective as possible. But then on the on-site spaces, how do they have to adapt? If it's more of a convening, um, if it's more of a convening activity that's happening on site, then what does that space have to look like to make that happen? Then we get to the technology. So you can't just look at workspace and workplace without thinking about technology. Because now technology is also a workspace, right? It's a virtual workspace and it's a facilitator of the conversation and the interactions that are going to happen perhaps in a hybrid way. Some people will be remote, some people will be in person, but then you're also going to have the technology that needs to really make us efficient in terms of sharing information, sharing resources. I know going into the pandemic, I know people do not believe this and maybe it was different in Ireland, but I'm going to tell you it was happening in the U.S., yeah. Only 17% of the U.S. full-time workforce said they frequently use Zoom, like a video conferencing yeah. platform to do their work. So that is a huge change in convening people. And that's got to be thought about in conjunction with workspace, workplace, and also technology. That's just one example of technology. There's many different technologies, but that's just one. Then we get down to the process of work. As, as we all know, the processes that we have to execute have adapted in this pandemic a lot, much faster. We've been closer to the customer. We've been, you know, less hierarchical. We've, you know, we've, we've questioned why we're meeting for an hour. Why can't we meet for 30 minutes and do, you know, all these process adaptions have, um, we need to think about that. And we need, oh, travel, like, are we traveling or can we just do that meeting on Zoom? So again, that's the process flexibility that has to be aligned with the workspace, the workplace, the technology. And, you know, we come back to the pace of work. Um, there has to be an intentionality around pace because what we found is with the pandemic, we found, finally destroyed <laughs> that pretend boundary we had between work and the other parts of our lives. And how do you manage that? How do you make sure that you're pacing your work so that you're optimizing it, but you're not burning people out. And what matters is getting done when it needs to get done. And, you know, all these things go into a total picture of the lenses that you have to think about the way people are going to be operating going forward. And if, if for me, I was, you know, I'm thinking about that, that pace and, those, oh, and time. I forgot time. time. Yeah. Cause time. that's what was coming oh to next. God. Yeah. Time. Okay. That's yeah. a huge one. Yeah. I'm glad you had, yeah. Great. Time is the other one. Okay. Because right. We, 
have to be intentional about time because it's no longer sort of the nine to five. And, you know, you and I talked beforehand, and I don't know when you're going to bring this up, but this is where we're getting into a lot of the legislative um, uh, elements to this is you now have, you have organizational intentionality around time, but if it's not there, if organizations are not going to be intentional about how they're managing time and the boundaries around and people are working and when they're not, what you're seeing now is legislative fixes to this. And this is why I hope organizations um, become much more um, forward-facing and um, open to talking about this issue, because if they're not, then you are going to have public policy come in and put parameters around it. And I don't think that's the most effective way to do it. But I don't know where you want to go with that part of the conversation, but that's where you're seeing the time part come in. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good catch there. I was going to going to come in because that was my question. Is is when I I feel about flexibility on time. The part of me feels it's an encroachment on my personal time and personal space with my family because I've had issues before, and, and I was talking about this with with burnout. And if I'm getting an email at eight o'clock, yeah, you know, for something that's for delivery the next day. I'm like, well, that means I have to work late now. Right. Because I'm kind of sucked into that commitment by reading the email and going, oh, no, I've read it. No, I can't leave it. Or even if I try to switch off, I can't switch off. So I think that's what legislators are trying to protect. But then on the other hand, you're trying to protect, we'll say, for example, like for me, you know, I like to share the homework and homeschooling duties with my wife. So, you know, and and then I need to take time out of my day for that. So then that that time has to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, now for me, I'm I'm more effective in the mornings. But if I told someone I was working at seven o'clock in the morning, they'd be kind of going, oh, my, I much prefer to work at night. Right. And then we're negotiating between. Right. Do we work from seven o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night? Because right. of when we say time differences yeah. in the States. Mm-hmm. So where does that leave us? What are your thoughts on that? OK, so. Um, this goes back to being intentional, right, yeah. about how, when, and where we were working and being more planful. It really is going to require a higher degree of planfulness and thinking through when you're going to do things in the most optimal way, but not just you, okay? This is where the team element comes into play. So when we talk yeah. about the cultural part of it, and I call yeah. it culture of shared leadership, right? So you yourself, and that's one of the the sort of skills out, the process outlined in my book is how do you start to think through, okay, what am I trying to do? When does that work best? Planning it out on your calendar. I know people think this is crazy. Now my second book, Week It, is the follow-up to that book. And that's the day-to-day, managing your day-to-day work-life fit. Because I would study these people I met called the Work-Life Fit Naturals and every company that I would be in, they fascinated me because they thought this was just no big deal, like no brainer. Like why can't, why is this so hard for people? And I studied their secrets and I put them in that book. And one of the things they do like crazy is they manage a combined calendar. They have everything down. They're very thoughtful. They're very planful a week in advance. They'll look down. What do I need to get done? They put it on their calendar. They block it off and it's work and personal together. Um, Now it's interesting. There's this whole dynamic around what do we call work-life balance, work-life integration is the goal. Work, and I call it work-life fit, right? Because it allows for all the different ways people like to fit their work and life together. Some people are integrators. Some people love it all smushed together and just happen and all at the same time. But other people are separators. So part of that 
managing a, a combined calendar is it allows you to either be an integrator if you want to be, or it allows you to be a separator in that you can keep it separate the way you want it to. Um, but you do have to be intentional about what you're trying to do, but then bring that to the people that you're working with. So in other words, if you're part of a team, you are coordinating with that team how, when, and where you work that. So let's say that you have a client and they're in another time zone and it really does make more sense. Like the, the Irish Management Institute. I gave yeah. my keynote at five o'clock in the morning my time. Okay, now that was when it worked for you. And I was happy to navigate that and put that into my calendar around that yeah. time. But we coordinated that with each other because I couldn't have gone earlier. I mean, that would have been really hard, but five was fine. Now, do I want to do that every day? Not really. However, you, I'm willing to work across all those different objectives to say, how can we meet in the middle and find a win? Yeah. And, you know, that assumes the person on the other side is also being intentional. Now, the 8 p.m. emails, this is one of the, the, the key behaviors that teams have to adopt, which is coordinating their accessibility and responsiveness. There's yeah. got to be some norms around this. Okay. If it is not necessary for you yeah. to get back to somebody with an 8 p.m. email for the next day, don't send that email at 8 p.m. It's so easy to just hit send later and put it in the queue, <laughs> eight o'clock the next morning, right? But this is where we have to, as a team, say, all right, if this is, something's not urgent, here's how we're going to communicate a need that we have with the rest yeah. of the team. This is the time boundaries. This is the platform we're going to use. This is how we're going to let people know we're available, we're not available. And if it is urgent, here is how I'm going to reach you. This is what it's going to look like. And if I don't do that, then don't worry, right? These yeah. are the conscious, deliberate conversations we should be having. That, by the way, we should have been having pre-pandemic because a lot of this stuff was already happening pre-pandemic because your burnout happened two years ago. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this stuff was not being dealt with, again, in that thoughtful, intentional way. Yeah. And it's a bit like having a service level agreement with, mm -hmm. with a team or between departments, you know, and it is that intentionality, isn't it? So it's funny, like you mentioned, you know, the the integrator and the separator in terms of the calendar. Yeah. That's how I operate. I have a color coded, you yeah. know, so I have an orange for gold in my diary to say, if I don't do this, I don't get paid. There you, you know, go. Red, dark red yeah. is, is that it's like urgent has to be done. And another shade of red is for family, you yep. know, or if it's an appointment or collect the kids from school or, or the boys from school or whatever, you know, so it does. And I call it my version of Tetris. Yeah. You know, you're just yeah. putting stuff in and do I really need to do that this week? If my workload is already full. So your, your, your calendar is a bit like your bank balance, isn't it? Yeah. But you'd be surprised, William, how many people do not keep combined work. You'd be shocked. Yeah. I, I still, and maybe that was okay when work, again, was I go to work and when I walk mm. in that door, that's when I'm working. And when I leave, that's when I do everything else. I don't have to be super thoughtful about it. I don't have to, that's gone. Like the boundaries come from that intentionality about what am I, again, it goes back to that question that's so magic to me, which is what am I trying to get done and how and where do I do it best and yeah. making that intentional decision and putting it down. Now, here's the key. You get every single thing done exactly the way that you had intended on that 
combined calendar. Do you? Yeah. All no. the time? No. No. <laughs> no. And that, and see, that's where, that's the other secret of the naturals that was so fascinating to me. So I tried that in the past and put everything down. Then I'd get like 60% of it done the way I wanted it to. And I'd think it was a total fail. I'd give up. I'd be like, forget it. I can't, yeah. right? And the naturals are like, you got 60% done. Like, would you have gotten that much done had you not done it? And I'm like, no, right? And so it really was celebrating success, celebrating what you do get done and just kind of going on and trying again and, and just keeping the process and the practice going is really the key because I'm sure you realize when something doesn't happen the way you thought it was, then you can go back and kind of brainstorm, okay, what could I have done differently to make sure that happened and you recalibrate? That's the mindset we have to be in. Yeah. And if you take that mindset, then it's, it's moving away from the ideal or the perfect context where it's keeping it alive. So for me, uh, to use your word tweak, I'm tweaking my diary now for, or my schedule now for homeschooling. And I'm also tweaking that now for like self-care, like exercise. Yeah. So for this morning, for example, we had a Zoom call for my, my son's school. But beforehand, I went for a walk in the local woods nearby for that self-care or their exercise. So, you know, I think there is, if you have that mindset, you're going to to be agile in the way you treat yourself. And then if your team is agile, that's agile. And then it moves to the organization. So it it, it really is that ripple effect, isn't it? It is. And it's good. Again, you bring up a really good point that you're assuming individuals are doing their part then they're bringing it to the team, then the organization can organize around that. So that's why that's part of a consistent organization-wide framework of planning, coordination, and decision-making. And that's got to be part of the execution of a flexible dynamic operating model. This is the skill set. This is the culture. And so, um, you know, if you have one person doing it, and that's great for them, but the true power comes from this multiplier, to use your words, the multiplier effect of all those levels operating that way together. And that's where I, we need to go in this next phase. And it is about that shared responsibility and accountability and trust, isn't it? It is. And um, the trust comes, right? That's, this is a big thing I get asked. Like, how do we trust? How do we encourage trust? The trust comes from that ongoing sense of shared leadership in terms of thinking through what are our priorities, how and where do we do them best, how are we executing together, and then consistently just having metrics to to work towards. That's another piece of this. Um, One of the dirty secrets, I say, going into the pandemic is that we realized we don't have very clear objectives that we're often working um it was it was presence equals performance and so clarifying those priorities having those measurements consistently getting updates seeing where you're 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 standing in terms of reaching them and that ongoing dialogue is really what ultimately builds that trust because you know leaders can managers don't have to be so micromanager managing right because they can let go of the wheel because they can see people are knowing how to be thoughtful about what they're going to try to deliver and their job is really just to set those priorities and give encouragement and support and resourcing as needed it's not just sort of hold on tight 
and, you know, make sure it's happening. They know that everybody's playing their part. And can I ask you, in terms of your experience, you say people playing their part, but what if people aren't playing their part? What if people are resistant? Because is is a you know, and I've, I'm here in certain workplaces are like that, and it ha- actually happened recently where only this week where the Workplace Relations Commission, you know, um, got fined for um, not giving someone remote working, you know, privileges, you know. Mm. So there is a certain amount of resistance there. And, you know, my own thought about it, this, this is going to be a differentiator in terms of talent attraction oh, and absolutely. talent retention. Well, let me, this is what I just, I just said this to a group of senior leaders the other day, and it was interesting to see their faces because I don't think they thought about this. Pre-pandemic, if you had a flexible work culture, you could make that a differentiator for talent. You could go out and use that to grab talent, right? Because you were giving something that they were maybe not getting where they were now. And oftentimes people would take it for less money. Okay, they yeah. would want that so much. They're like, look, I'll take 20% less salary. I just let I have the yeah. flexibility. I'm all in, right? Now, it's baseline expectation. That yeah. You don't get any bonus points anymore for that, okay? Yeah. So if people are not able to have a degree of flexibility in the way they work, they will not work for you. Now, if you want them to not have flexibility, I mean, maybe there will be workplaces that will say, look, I'm willing to pay you 20% more so you actually are willing to come in every day if, you, if that's the way your job, you know, doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be done, but we want you here. But again, it, it's not, it's a non-negotiable now. So how do you begin to just set that baseline so that you can compete for talent? Because otherwise on the other side of this, it's not going to happen. And, and going back to resistant, you know, people are resistant leaders then, this is where, you know, it's fraught with complexity now mm-hmm. because everybody's going to have their own take on it then. So this is where your framework then does give people a process yeah. and they can establish boundaries then. And can you tell me how you might operate with a company then? So we'll say, for example, if I was to engage in your services then to the Flex Strategy Group, how, you know, what's your approach? So, you know, obviously we're going to meet you wherever you are and we'll support you um, as you would like us to support you. But I think there is just a general approach. So I do think it's important right now, especially to go in and take some time to understand how your work's been transformed by this pandemic. Do some discovery, talk to your people within the framework, understand how your infrastructure has operated in the COVID time. Yeah. How, where were people working in what spaces? What did it, how did it work? What was the technology that they used? How did that happen? What times were people working? What was the yeah. process adaptions that happened? How was the pace oper- Like, how did that all work together? And then in terms of the culture, where were people feeling like they had the skills to be effective? Where did they find they weren't, you know, do that discovery, get some, get a baseline understanding of where you are. Yeah. And then from there, what you're going to want to do is start to determine as what's the vision on the other side. And then where there's that gap, you're going to want to start to, to fill in the space, right? Whether it's you have to put some new norms in place in certain areas. What are the guidelines? So remember, this is, a, this is a three-tiered intervention. It's norms, which is just sort of how we, we work. 
Then there are yes. guidelines. Okay, fine. Our guidelines are that in general, we like to think you'll come into the workspace 40% of the time. You're hearing this now. People yeah. are starting to put percentages, okay? Yeah. And then there's actual policy. Okay, so I'll use remote work as an example. So a norm could be that when we are working on a project, we're going to basically be planning in a way that we're determining where we're going to work at a particular time. And it's, it's flexible and depends upon the highest and best execution of that task. Okay, that's a norm. A guideline would be, we would like to generally be have you in the office 40% of the time. Okay, that's the guideline. But nobody's keeping track. I mean, how yeah. people are going to track this, I don't know. So I think yeah. keep it a guideline and not a policy. But then we get to policy, which is our policy is that we will not reimburse you for your work at home uh, technology. Okay. Or um, if you are a full-time remote worker, here is what we will reimburse for you to travel to the office when you want to come on site. So it's sort of looking at all these different elements from that three-level um, next stage execution. And then what you're going to want to do is make sure that your ecosystem, again, is aligned with all of this new way of working. So you really do have to look at all of your HR policies. You have to look at your performance management system. What are the competencies that you're rewarding people for? Are they going to support what you're trying to accomplish? You have to look at your facility strategy. This whole thing where people are just coming in and the CFO is like, let's just get rid of all of our workspace. I don't know if that's right. Okay, I... Make sure you're being really thoughtful about how you're going to use. Oh, and the other thing that I'm hearing is elect, we're going to have a hub and spoke system where we're going to get little offices in the suburbs. Well, I'm actually not hearing that's what people want. They want to come to a central convening place to be together, but then probably work remotely. So again, make sure that how you're investing at, a, at an enterprise level in your workspace is aligning with the way people are saying they want to work. Same with technology. Yeah, And again, all of this is aligned with um, your strategy, making sure there's a real clarity around the impact and that this new way of working is aligning with your strategic goals. And then finally, you got to train people. Now that you know what you're going for, you got to give them those skills and tools. There is a whole new framework of, again, thinking about your work, coordinating with your colleagues, executing the work recalibrating that really is a new way of operating for people at every level and then you got a pilot i know people think say well we just went through big old pilot we're in a pilot right now we're just why do we do it again well you want to you want to have people practice with this new way of operating for a period of time it can be as little as six weeks it could be as long as six months whatever you feel you need to get a sense for how it's working because what that does is it establishes the norm of we are going to constantly be refining and recalibrating. This is not a step, like a set thing. This yeah. is always ongoing. And at the end of that pilot, you're going to review what worked, what didn't adapt, adjust. And then your final phase is you're going to keep, you're just going to want to sustain it as you go along. You're never, ever done with this. And so that is how you would engage with us in, in some in some degree on all those different elements of what we call the high performance flexibility evolution process. Yeah. And I was just saying to you earlier on, you know, when I was listening to you, I was like, 
this woman is so far ahead of the curve when I heard <laughs> you uh, talk. And, and if I'm honest, um, what I'm hearing now, it's a bit like, do you remember the Y2K, the millennium bug that yeah. everybody was freaking out about? And, you know, it's a bit like that. That created more power for like IT directors and mm-hmm. technology directors and CTOs. And I was just mentioning in the previous podcast that, you know, it's a bit like the HR director role in the company now is actually gaining more power in terms of and more respect and more authority because they're realizing that it's actually through this role, all of this is going to be coordinated. You know, and there has to be an industry, HR professional industry approach to it. Would you agree or, or what are your thoughts? You know, this is, this is where I think um, there is a tremendous opportunity for HR leaders to step yeah. in and, and lead this transformation. Mm. But it has to be from a culture-based strategic way of operating and it's not based on rules and um, one size fits all policy. And I think that's sometimes where HR leaders struggle with how to execute. Yeah. And um, so what we found is most effective is if truly the sponsorship and the ownership of a, a flexible culture transformation is really um, held at the senior line leader level. Like it, yeah. a very senior line level leader um, says, you know, I will take this on. This is something that we collectively, whether it's the task force or what have you, um, says we will lead the initial at, uh, change um, with HR for sure being a yeah. major part of that effort. But in terms of ownership, it can't be seen as being owned by HR. Um, okay. HR can be a facilitator of it. And maybe at yeah. the other side of it, when you're just sustaining it and you're monitoring it and you're making sure, I think HR plays a huge role in that. But at the initial outset, this needs to be positioned as something the business owns. The way, yeah. we, do, the way we do our business, not yeah. something that sits over there in HR. Okay. And it, my reading it now, it's like, it's going to be a permanent task force there because if it's that constant calibration, yep. then you need to have people following your process, following your guidelines and your framework. And they're owning that and they're holding people accountable and they're having that shared responsibility for constantly, you know, adapting and adjusting and sustaining. So it seems like there's, there's going to be a new industry for this, you know, in terms of having that skill set because, I was joking earlier on is that I felt really confident, you know, leaving that conference because I do organization design and teamwork and leadership, you know, and, you know, mediation and negotiation and all of these are key elements, you know, in terms of this, does everybody have that skill set? Maybe not, you know, and then you can, it can be complex. So you kind of have to really revert back to that framework. Don't you? So there is a lot of skills that has to be, you know, um, taken on board? Well, I think this is a, a skill building opportunity for yeah. people internally to hire the people who can help them learn how to actually do this themselves, right? So if you're a yeah. manager, truly your role is much more of a coach facilitator now. So yeah. hire the people who can teach you how to function in that way. And, you know, I, I, one of the things we do, which works really, really well, is we create a network of, we call them leads. 
Okay. Yeah. So we get people in every operating group who partner with us up front and we actually teach them how to continue. It's almost like, you know, give somebody a fish, they eat for a day, teach people yeah. to fish, they fish, you know, they eat for a lifetime, yeah. right? So our role is to go in and say, how do we transfer these skills to you so that you have the infrastructure in place to actually continue to, um, to execute on an ongoing basis? And those people work in the business and they work mm. together as a group in partnership with the, whatever the infrastructure is in the organization to keep this moving forward. But it is a skill building opportunity. And you and are you then seen as a trusted advisor that they can contact you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and can I ask you a question? In terms, of people are kind of going, "Oh, we need this tomorrow." How quickly <laughs> you implemented this? You know, at, you know, I, you know. Th- these are sometimes the uh, high expectations that are placed on both you and me. I know. You know right? What's your what's your what's your your typical length of process then around that? So by the time people engage you, by the time you actually see you know, that you hand over where you have those leads then that are completely skilled and fishing for themselves? You know, it's funny. The best way to, to answer this question is to say we go as fast as the organization wants to go, right? Yeah. So I have been in situations where I had a CEO once look at me and say, look, if you're going to give me some policy, I'm not interested. He's like, you need to change my organization and here's your time frame and have at it. Like he was all about it. Okay, so yeah. when you have that, People snap to it and they will give you the resources that you need. They will make it happen. They will now other organizations, not so confident, a little bit nervous, like want to take a little more time. You've got more senior leaders that you have to sort of get on board and engage. And again, that's the pace they have to go at. Okay. So you, you can't force somebody to go faster than they're, they are able to go. So yeah. to answer the question, if an organization's all there and they're willing to go give you the, the focus and the intention, yeah. you can execute pretty quickly. Um, but again, it just depends. Yeah. So it's, it's all about if the people are confident in the, in the process there. And, you know, if, if there's anybody resistant there, li- you know, listening in, then how might, what are the kind of words of reassurance you might give them? You know, William, I think... Um, I'm going to tell you a secret. Yeah. I love resistors. I actually love them. <laughs> yeah. Is it <laughs> no, the challenge? Well, it's the challenge, but it's also that I find that the resistor does two things. One, yeah. they're actually saying out loud what everyone else is thinking. So yeah. you want to give them their props because they're doing you a favor that they're giving yeah. everybody an opportunity to hear the answer to questions they have because that are too nervous to ask them. And the second thing is when, when you're able to help them get over their resistance, yeah. they become your biggest advocate, right? Yeah. And so when I see a resistor, and I say this um, with all understanding that probably 15 to 20% of resistors, you're just never going to get there. And, yeah. if, and, and you know what? If that happens, you just wish them well and you sort of just make sure that their resistance does not then sabotage the rest of the organization. Yeah. But there is a bell curve, right? So let's say, close, you know, on the, a little far to the you know, left of that 15, 20%, you have people who you are willing to listen to you. Yeah. And I find that the best way to get them to be more comfortable is to help them see the possibilities, to help them understand what, 
what are the benefits on the other side of this for them that they may not understand and acknowledge their concerns, but also, again, have a process they can follow to navigate through that, a roadmap. And if they have a sense that there's a roadmap they can follow, there's something on the other side of this, it's not forever. You, you, this, if it doesn't work out perfectly, you can continue to refine it. It just, yeah. that's when, that's why pilots are so great, right? Is that yeah. pilots are a great way to test something out. Like I say date and you are not getting married, right? Like you have yeah. an opportunity on their side to make some changes. That's when they get on board. I yeah. have to say to all my resistors out there though, you really have to have an open mind, right? Please yeah. have an open mind because we're not going back. Yeah. And your resistance is a gift if it gets the organizations to ask questions that need to be answered up front. Yeah. But to think that your resistance is going to keep us stuck and go back to the way we were, and that's what you want, that's not going to happen. And so be open and at least engage in the discussion. So thank you for those thoughts, because I think, you know, you're going to get a lot of people thinking differently. And that's what this whole podcast is about. So, for example, if I'm the opposite end of the spectrum, then so you know, I've already been embracing change. Um, what might the future trends be? How might I future-proof myself? So, because you talked about, you know, adapting and adjusting and sustaining then. So where do you think the future of the workplace might be then? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'll go just the other side of the pandemic, right? Yeah. I absolutely, 100% will tell you that we are going to a hybrid dynamic on-site remote reality. That is a hundred percent where we are going. Now, what that yeah. looks like for each organization is going to be unique. So to future proof yourself, you really need to know that not everybody is coming into the office every day the way they did before. So with that in mind, how do you operationalize that? What is that going to look like? And that's where you want to then follow some sort of process or framework that helps you look at all the elements that you're going to have to align in order to execute that in a way that works for your organization and for the people who work for you. So the other thing that's going to happen in the future is I believe that um, technology is going to advance. There is going to continue to be even more digitization of our work processes and our workflows. But I also believe that the human element is going to become even more of a differentiator. So that's where you're going to also want to always be mindful that you're just not going to be able to digitize your way out of having to think about these things. Um, you're going to have to really think about how you're going to build up your talent and your um, your workforce in a way that's going to allow them to use that technology to let your organization stand out and be uniquely value add. So I would say, you know, use this as an opportunity to really think about how you're going to attract and retain and develop that workforce that you're going to want to have in the future um, to make your organization great. So that's what I would say. And flexibility is going to be key to that. I think so. I think so. And like you're touching on like, 
place, space, technology, time, process, pace. You know, I think these are things that we should all remember, like, you know, and to keep in mind, I'm thinking of like, when I think about technology, I think about augmented reality now and where Oculus Lens in a couple of years time is going to replace even that physical space because then we can pretend we're in a virtual room together, you know, and meet people for a virtual coffee in a certain room. And, you know, so there is um that in it as well and i do think it's going to be that differentiator isn't it mm-hmm. in the future and can i ask you maybe one more question so i know i'm of course. if that's okay and we're coming to the end of the podcast um here but in terms of the gig economy do you think do you think it could be a place where there's going to be people you know working in several organizations you know that it's a bit like myself i'm an independent contractor do you think the future of the workplace that people are going to be hired on their individual talents then? You know, there is a wonderful book that was written a million years ago by a thinker named Charles Handy. It's called The Age of Unreason. And in that book, he talks about the Shamrock organization. And I do believe that that's ultimately where we are going to go. I think there will be a core group of people who will be full-time with that organization. They will be a flexible, dynamic workforce that's working across space, place, and time. Um, but they will be augmented by various you know, independent people who will come in for certain purposes and be part of that team and then cycle out. And so again, this, this really does talk about how team is going to be redefined. And I also think within team, you have to include your customers, right? So your customers have to be part of that team and they're going to be working in a flexible, dynamic way. And what are they going to be expecting and how do you integrate with them? And so, you know, you want to use this moment in time where the pandemic has forced us to really rethink everything to not revert back the meat you want to keep moving forward knowing that it's not just how you're going to execute and operate your organization it's how you're going to integrate all different types of talent into your workforce and have to manage that and coordinate with each other it's a a huge paradigm shift isn't it going from you'll say workplace policies to underperformance which you might touch on now to you know what what even future teams might look like yeah it's it's, it's a huge paradigm shift, and I think we have to be compassionate that, that and the initial response to that can be a lot of fear. Yeah. And you just don't, you can feel very insecure about what that looks like. But the, what's the potential on the other side is really exciting. And people often say to me, how in heaven's name can you still be so excited about work that you've been doing for two decades? I mean, literally, you and I could yeah. have a four-hour podcast about this. We won't. People go get nervous. Um, but I say it's because of the spark. When yeah. I see the spark unlock from organizations that integrate a flexible dynamic operating model into their organizational structure, what comes out on the other side in terms of innovation and engagement and well-being and just it is so amazing to watch. And so now I just want there to be an openness to use this moment to start to think to make that intentionally happen in your organization because it really is what's going to be on the other side 
And I think, you know, what's really staying with me, it's that constant reinvention of the organization. Before it was a slow and labored process and it was driven by market forces or shareholders. And now we've, I suppose, it's driven by by health uh, concerns at the moment um, and the pandemic. But it really is that, isn't it? It's constant reinvention of the organization and we're just quicker to the context now. Well, again, I think we didn't have a choice. Right. I, no. I, you know, and and I, I started with this and I think, you know, I'll, I'll sort of recap, which is this was all happening before the pandemic. Yeah. And leaders knew it. There was a study done by Harvard Business School in August of 2019, I think it was, that asked leaders from across the globe, 6,500 leaders, oh, what are the top challenges that you have? I mean, flexibility, remote work, like that was like up there. And then they asked, are you doing anything about it? Like, nope, nope. Why? Well, because we got other things. We're doing the. So all of this was already on the radar. This has just accelerated the pace where the, op- the, the traditional work model has yeah. now been totally just obliterated, right? Yeah. And there's an opportunity now to put it back together in a new, more effective way. And yeah. that's what, you know, hopefully leaders will choose to do. Yeah, so it's welcoming that that forced disruption, really. So we're coming to the end of the podcast now, and thank you so much for what you've shared so far. So I'm just going to give you a space to, I suppose, share some key takeaways from our conversation today. What might they be for the listeners? Okay, I'm going to do this, but then I want you to tell me what your key takeaways are too, because you know I, of course have my bias and um, but I do think it's always important for me to understand what others are seeing um, yeah and I think that'll help everybody else too because I, I I know you have some unique thoughts as well but I'll start with yeah. me um, yeah. okay so the key takeaways that I hope people um, are thinking about is that it all comes down to one question what do we need to get done and how when and where do we do it best work is a what it's not a where And if you approach it from that standpoint, then all of a sudden you begin to see that a flexible dynamic operating model just naturally flows from that. And in terms of when you begin to now build that, you want to make sure you're looking at it from three levels. Again, you're going to to know if the ecosystem has to align around this new way of working. You You absolutely want the infrastructure to be in place, but all those elements that we talked about need to align and be part of a whole. You can't look at them as silos. And then you want to make sure you have the culture wrapped around that, the culture of coordinated, you know, shared leadership where there's coordinated planning, execution, coordination, that they're leveraging that, that infrastructure to execute your strategic priorities. And really do be clear about what your priorities are. What, what do you want from this? Clarify that and um, start to set those priorities and, and operate to them and use these months. I guess my biggest takeaway is we have probably, and you know, it's different for every country, but I say we have about a year where you can use this time, start to rethink what that model is going to look like, and then put this, begin to put the steps in place to execute so that when you, you do get to the other side, you're ready to go. You're yeah. ready to take advantage of it. Yeah. I think one of the key things here is that stakeholder engagement, your customers, you know, the people who actually work the processes, what was working, what wasn't working, what do we need to tweak, you know, to, to use your words. 
in that tweak piece, it's all about that individual responsibility as well mm-hmm. and, and that mutual accountability. We talked about, you know, trust and those team behaviors as well. What were the norms? What worked well before? But actually, what do we need to discard? You know, and it's about renegotiating those service level agreements within the team mm-hmm. in terms of behaviors, you know, and when are you available? When are you not available? What's urgent? If we are, if it is urgent, how do we contact you? Yeah. You know, what's negotiable, what's not negotiable? So it's about establishing that scope and boundaries there in terms of, well, does this work really need to get done? Definitely. What's our objective here? So we talked about performance then in terms of that performance is, well, you know, is this really meeting the objective there? So mm-hmm. there's a real look at, we talked about that ecosystem uh, there and going down to the various different levels, you know, individual and teams. I've learned so much. Thank you so much. We, <laughs> we talked about we talked about the guidelines, the difference between guidelines yeah. and policies there. Um, you know, and it's really about, you know, it's creating those leads. So you're really empowering people then to keep the organization agile and that constant reinvention to adapt adjust sustain yeah have i have i you got it there? william you did it it's all good coaching competency there you know <laughs> active listening i'll tell you i am impressed so i want to give the listeners an opportunity if they want to hear more about you or get your services or your books or whatever what's the best way for them to contact you and if there's anything you want to offer then please please do Okay, so to get in touch with us, you can go to our website, which is flexstrategygroup.com. You see all our contact information, and we have a blog, and you can look at some of the things we've, we've worked on. My books um, are available on Amazon. I'm pretty sure they're available on Amazon UK. Um, if they were sold out. Kindle, I must say they were that okay. popular. Okay. Um, but I, on Kindle, you can get them on yeah, Kindle. Of course. Um, and I try, I'm trying to be um, better about actively posting my thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter. I get on, I'm there usually once a day, um, sharing survey, you know, research and experiences that I'm having. So please join me there and engage in the conversation. William will tell you, I, I do try to get back to you. I do try to respond. Um, so yeah, let's just keep talking. I think that's where we have to be for the next few months. It's just encouraging each other to really rethink things, reimagine more fan life. Callie, thank you so much for your time today. I gained so much for that and the listeners did as well. And, uh, I can't wait to have you on the podcast again. Oh, I look forward to it. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with the podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corliss, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.